Kenneth, how are you doing today? I'm out of, I'm out of coffee. <laughs> so let's just keep it general. Uh, <laughs> this is Liquid Gold. All right, where the bubbles are tight and the topics are light, welcome back. And Happy New Year from Liquid Gold. Right here on We Own This Town, We Own This Town Podcast Network. My name's Mike Wolf, and I'm here today with our pairing professional cocktail correspondent, Miss Jessica Backus, and our co-host, Mr. Kenneth Dedman. How are we doing today, y'all? I'm doing good. Miss I go first. I'm great. <laughs> <laughs> Too polite. I never I never want to talk before Kenneth because I always like to hear what he has to say. Sorry, I should I shouldn't have grouped it together like no, that. No, 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 it's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks to all our listeners out there. And just a, a little update that you can always email us liquidgoldpod at gmail.com. You can hit us up on Instagram at liquidgold underscore pod. And this is the first time, guys, that we are all together on the same call, video call, and uh, with, our, with our microphones. This is great. We made it to the last show of 2020. Y'all yeah. are so pretty. You've, you've got the great morning light there, Jess. Oh, yeah. I have a great view of a pond and a fountain and palm trees, and I can't complain. Damn. Palm trees, Kenneth. Rubbing it in our faces. Palm trees. (laughs) We've got a special little show for you today for New Year's. Last year, we talked about champagne. We had a great old time. We taped that episode last year about champagne with Nicolette Angtel, and it was uh, the final taping of three episodes that day. Kenneth, you remember that? Yes. Barely. (laughs) And... We were just lit and having a great time, and we just decided, hey, why don't we just do our champagne episode at the end of this, because we're having so much fun. But today, we're talking about sparkling wines that aren't champagne, and we're going to spotlight some of our favorites, and we're also going to talk about a cocktail to make with each. And something I think uh, of interest to note is a lot of our favorite sparkling wine cocktails are light on ingredients and heavy on sparkling wine. And that's what a lot of, you know, French 75 style cocktails and other modern cocktails, they kind of get wrong about when you're using really nice or really tasty sparkling wine, you don't want to use a ton of other ingredients. Jess, why don't we start with you? What did you, uh, what did you pick out today to celebrate with us for New Year's? Because I know you love bubbles and you've got a, a, a wide variety of favorites. So what did you pick out for us today? <laughs> <laughs> yes, my favorite bubbles is bubbles, especially if they're Good free. Answer. <laughs> Good answer, right? Yeah, <laughs> um, but I think in general, you know, one of my favorite characteristics in wine is the minerality that comes through, and um, I always tell people I love wine that tastes like rocks <laughs> or diamonds. Right? That's what it is. I mean, you yeah. have fruit rolled in diamonds, right? <laughs> sure, it's that time of year. Yeah, so today uh, I chose um, Sparkling Vouvray, which is amazing. It's uh, sort of the central part of the Loire Valley in France, which kind of runs east-west from the western coast in the northern half of the country. Um, You have tons of limestone there in the soil. And Vouvray is cool because the grape is Chenin Blanc, um, which is a very aromatic grape. Um, So you have tons of flower and fruit and non-fruit sort of aromas and flavors that come in with the wine. And when they make still Vouvray, usually get a bunch of sort of fruitier, sweeter, 
perceiving kind of flavors. And with the sparkling Vouvray, it's a lot of times, and my favorite, um, very, very dry. So you get those mm. crazy aromatics. You get tons of the flower and the sort of waxy thing and this really neat orchard fruit, but super, super dry and super minerally. And the rockiness comes out in it so much. And so it's really nice just to drink on its own. But it's also beautiful to pair, especially with seafood or with cheese, you know, creamy, funky cheeses and things like that. And that, uh, wouldn't you say that that region, the Loire Valley, which has become more popular and more known, I feel like, in the last few years, and they're known for very aromatic wines out there, right? Yeah. That's part of the deal. Um, yes, absolutely. And as you move from west to east from the coast, more inland to the far sort of eastern part of the valley where they have a lot of Sauvignon Blanc growing, you go kind of like from the west coast where it's like real salty and you get a lot of the Muscadet to the east coast where you get that kind of smoky, flinty kind of Sauvignon Blanc. So you have sort of citrus and uh, tropical fruits, but the, the driving force behind those wines is that kind of smoky minerality. And this is the Vouvray kind of bridges the gap between the two. That sounds amazing. So what kind of what kind of cocktail would you make, or what's what's one of your favorite cocktails um, that you might w- make with that with that particular sparkling wine? Yeah, so I think uh, keeping everything as clean as you possibly can, just you know drizzling a little bit of some kind of nice beautiful aperitif in there. Uh, something light with a little of the bittersweet balance. Um, so, you know, Coqui Americano is great. If you are a, an Aperol spritz person, just a little bit of Aperol. Or really a nice um, Amaro that's on the more sweet to bitter side. So maybe like a Chiocharo or, um, you know, a, a Nonino if you want to get fancy. Because you get a little of that honey and a little bit of that, like... Um, campfire citrus but it's got that real sweet honeyed kind of front on it and just like a touch of bitterness to it just to do a little splash of that maybe like a a half ounce or an ounce in there really let the bubble shine and the minerality come through and if you don't have any of that just throw a couple dashes of bitters in there so Mm -hmm. um one of my favorite christmas gifts from my mom hey mom uh was (laughs) from the dram apothecary which is a colorado Uh, company a husband and wife team and they do really beautiful aromatic bitters so i think when we were at husk before you brought in some of their sage bitters the mountain sage yeah they have a black one so my mom sent me what they call their hair of the dog aromatic bitters and Mm -hmm. it's got like ginger in it and it has um just really nice like spicy wild herbs cinnamon fennel things like that so it's really cool because you can use it to bake um, or you can just put a little bit in soda water, or you can splash a little in your sparkling wine. So it brings a kind of little bit of herbaceousness, a little bit of like wintry spice to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're, we're going to have to make that pilgrimage someday to check out everything they've got going on at Dram Apothecary since they moved from Silver Plume to Salida. They're in Salida, yeah. Salida, up yeah. on the mountain now. They're on the mountain and they're... Uh, in like a really cool old historic building. And I think they have like a bed and breakfast in the building right next door that's sort of famously haunted. But you can go and stay there and then they'll make you, you know, tasty food and you share that's ghost great. stories. And w- something that's uh, really incredible about them, I think, is 
a lot of people don't know that gentian root, one of the main ingredients for bitters, the bitter, essentially, the bitter plant, the bitter botanical that goes in bitters and a lot of our favorite liqueurs, which we've talked about gentian before on the show, most of it is sourced from Sweden. Like I've told you guys, we've talked about it on the show that I'm making this vermouth. We had to order, uh, it needed more bitterness, so we're ordering some gentian, and ours is going to be sourced from Sweden, where a lot of it, where a lot of the best gentian is. But Dram goes out into the wild because one of the only places it grows in the wild is in the Rocky Mountains. And it's like this blue flower, um, a different variety than what they have in Sweden. But that's pretty cool. They're, They're like one of the only bitters makers, I think, who lives among wild gentian, and they go forage it themselves. So pretty cool. What what color is the Swedish flower? Is it red? It's yellow. Most of the common one, the common uh, Swedish varieties, I think it's a, it's a big yellow flower. It's, and the plant gets about three feet tall when it's time to harvest. And I think it takes two or three years for it to get that height. Kenneth, do you want to go or you want me to go? So Kenneth, so Jess has, a, has some cool ideas about um, champagne cocktails. And I know we're going to hear from uh, here a, a nice champagne cocktail recipe from you. But what is your sparkling wine that you picked out for us today? Oh, cool. From the UK and emerging almost exclusively, almost exclusively sparkling market. It's crazy. I think like something like two thirds of all the wine from the UK, which is primarily made in the South, the Southeast, two thirds of it is sparkling. And it makes sense because if you ever, you ever seen, um, Rob Robin Hood, Robin Hood. Oh yeah, Prince of Thieves. Prince of Thieves. Prince of Thieves the or ca- Men in Tights. <laughs> um, Prince of Thieves. Damn, you brought up a better movie. No, classic. Prince <laughs> of Thieves is amazing. Um. Uh. Yeah. Uh, so uh, the cliffs of Dover are featured there, which is just these huge, bright white cliffs on the southeastern edge of uh, the county of Kent. That's all uh, limestone, primarily chalk, which is pretty much the same soil component. Uh, is that the right word? Component? Yum. Same yeah. soil mm-hmm. component as, uh, as the Champagne region. In fact, a lot of very large uh, Champagne houses are buying up land in, in the southeast area, uh, region of the UK to, uh, to begin sparkling wine production. And that has everything to do with um, climate change. Um, oh wow! Yeah, the UK sits. Uh, I don't know uh, how, whatever distance from from Champagne. It, it, it is. It is definitely uh, farther north. But because of climate change and global warming, uh, the being a result of it, it's it's slowly over the last couple of decades turning into a primo wine production spot. It's just going to grow. I don't know. We're, I don't think we're going to stop it. I, I guess at this point. Uh, there's your negative. Anyway, uh, <laughs> I, uh, I got a hold of, uh, charging re- the positive and negative ions. Yeah. I got a really great, um, <laughs> sparkling Chardonnay from the Davenport gentleman named Will Davenport. He's been, uh, growing a shitload of Chardonnay since 1991, all natural. Um, he's actually the largest organic producer of wine in the UK. What, is also amazing about this is uh, I think most of the sparkling wine producers in the UK 
use the, uh, what, what's it called, the Charmot? Charmant, yeah. Charmant, yeah. So your secondary fermentation is done in a tank. But he, he does the traditional, he does a, a, for the most part, traditional second fermentation, bottle fermentation. The one that I have uh, is is not. But when I was looking at all of his other varieties, I, it looks like it's kind of a new thing in the last few years by the guy. But anyway, it was super bready, a little bit citrusy. Um, I could have easily mistaken it for um, maybe not necessarily a chard, uh, a champagne, but definitely like maybe a Cremant Alsace or something like that. I don't know. Like uh, it's definitely high in minerals because of that chalkiness, which is uh, just maybe you can help me understand this. So like the chalky limestone, the uh, I guess what it's called, uh, calcium carbonate, it's porous. And yeah. lets water free flow through it, so that kind of makes the the vines kind of work a little harder to to get their water, and um, your result is a very healthy, well balanced um, uh, product. Is that not correct? That is one hundred percent accurate. So the less water retention, the more the vines struggle to uh, get the moisture. But the less moisture they have in there, the more intense um, the character in the grapes. So the more characteristic you get out of the wine. It's like dangling a Kit Kat in front of a kid. Yeah, it's like the opposite of humans. So the more uh, hydrated (laughs) the grapes are, the more flabby and boring the wine is. Right on. So. That's dope. It's going to be a thing. Um, I I guess for the next few years, we'll, we'll make jokes about it. We'll make funny jokes about the British accent and Brexit and all that shit. And then in a few more years, we'll start taking them seriously. Just not quite yet. That sounds right. A lot of these uh, vineyards that are popping up in the southeast UK are actually occupying like old old uh, orchards. So mm-hmm. they're already, um, they're already um, kind of set up to... For, for this kind of growth, of course, I guess, uh, like the limestone soil probably, it doesn't retain, doesn't retain a lot of nutrients. And that's probably one of the other big things about it is if you've ever, you're, I mean, Mike, you're a gardener, you wrote a book about it, but like, uh, if you're testing soil, it's hard to get stuff out of soil. It's, it's a lot easier to put stuff into soil and... That's what makes uh, chalky soil, sandy soil sometimes too, like so appealing. Yeah. Yeah, you're talking about years sometimes um, if you're trying to get things out of the soil. Yeah, yeah, years. And uh, especially if you, you, you try to do that naturally. Cover crops and be damned yep. if your cover crop doesn't do well. You got to do it all over again the next year. and You're on a one-year timetable every fucking year. You want to do a cocktail? Yeah, what's, uh, what's a good cocktail you would make with that, Kenneth? Uh, prob- You're a classicist. I would do the. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I would do the traditional, the very traditional champagne cocktail. It's easy for anyone to do at home. Easy, easy for for me when I'm at work. It's uh, incredibly simple. All you need is a little bit of aromatic bitters. It doesn't have to be angostura. If you have a favorite bitters, screw it. Soak your uh, soak your uh, sugar cube in your favorite bitters. Drop it into your champagne flute 
or a wine glass or a coffee cup. It's my only um, way that I would personalize this drink is I would take a lemon peel or a pigtail and drop it in with the sugar cube to begin with and then pour your sparkling wine over the top. Uh, when the champagne, oh, nice. when, when your sparkling wine hits that, uh, that sugar cube mm-hmm. and the bitters, it's going to fizz. It's going to fizz like crazy. And the oil, uh, along with the wee bit of acidity in the lemon peel, will keep your bubbles on edge. It'll speed up your production time. Very cool. Champagne cocktail. Sounds great. And it's classic. And uh, it, it, it is not going away. People still order it. People still love it. And it's just that balance of acidity, that that kind of uh, that yeasty thing that you talk about that gets enhanced by the uh, by those citrus notes, the bitterness and the sweet. It's a perfect cocktail. Perfect yeah, cocktail. I like I like to think you can you can pretty much walk into any restaurant, bar, cocktail bar within reason, anywhere in the world and order a champagne cocktail, and it'll be some sort of variation of that. In that movie, Casablanca, just got off the freaking boat from France in Morocco, walks into Cafe Americana. What's she freaking order? Like she doesn't know. She didn't look at. She doesn't know what they have. But yeah, <laughs> she's like, I'll have a champagne cocktail. You could do it anywhere. <laughs> you could order it anywhere, and feel good yep. about it. Like with the confidence that you will give me this drink because yeah. I'm a classy lady. You can do this. Yeah. Awesome, Kenneth. Mike. Good stuff. Way, way to bring in Robin Hood, too. Yeah. Oh, God, I love that movie. The truth is, when I saw that movie, um, I was like, what the fuck? Where is that? Like, I want to know about that, like, coast. I want to, at the time, I was like, I want to make sure that this is accurate to the, st- not, I don't know. Like, I was a kid. I didn't know that Robin Hood may or may not have happened. But yeah, sure enough, like, I looked it up and Cliffs of Dover. And it's got some great, terrible Costner accents in it, which is always, always fun when Costner does an accent and botches it. And he's like, I will find you. (laughs) I'll find you. But then a lot of times he just gives up on the accent. Yeah. He's just like, I'm Kevin Costner. I'm not, I'm not having a great day. I'm just going to talk like me. Yeah. I might Mm -hmm. be British or I might just, you know, be Robin Hood. (laughs) Right. <laughs> I wonder if they can right. digitally give you an accent now. Oh, yeah. Hmm. The best bet is What's just the... to hire a British actor, and then they're better at doing American accents than Americans are at British accents, usually. <laughs> That's true. That's true. You could just do that. All right. The one I picked out for today, I know we've all had it. We love it. Straight out of New Mexico, one of my favorite states and places in the world is the Gruet Winery. How incredible is it that some of the best sparkling wines in the country come from New Mexico? It's amazing. It's great. But I'm so glad that it's not California. Right. You should get a shirt. We should have shirts made that just say, I'm so glad it's not California. Kenneth Dedman. (laughs) (laughs) I can't can't believe it's not butter. (laughs) I'm so glad it's not California. Is that just anyway. be my tagline to anything? Anyway, so the, the Gruet Winery um, has a really interesting story because, and the reason that it's not Gruet is uh, the gentleman who started this winery was from France. He was born in Bethan, France in 1931, grew up poor, 
Um, he had always kind of dreamed from the time that he was uh, about 20 years old, always dreamed of producing really uh, fine quality champagne. Fast, fast forward many years later, I think he was about 50 years old, and he was traveling through the southwest of the United States, one of the more unique areas that we've got in this country. While he was there, he met a small group of European winemakers who had uh, successfully planted vineyards near one of the greatest town names in all of the West, Truth or Consequences, or it's just Truth or Consequence, New Mexico, which is also a really mediocre movie. Um, I don't know if you've seen that, Jess. Never. No. I haven't. <laughs> it's Does it take um, place in New Mexico, though? Yeah. I feel like I've oh, heard yeah. of it. Yeah, I don't think I've seen it. Um, this is 170 miles south of Albuquerque, a very dry, deserty kind of area. But um, they were successfully growing vineyards there. They, they, they had some Chardonnay that was doing really well. Hmm. They made the decision to plant an experimental vineyard there near Truth or Consequence, New Mexico. This was in the mid-80s now. They planted Pinot Noir and Chardonnay grapes. His children became winemakers, Laurent and his daughter, uh, Natalie. They relocated to New Mexico, and they began uh, this, this big winemaking adventure. Those vineyards are at 4,300 feet, and so even though it gets pretty hot there in the desert, the temperature drops a lot at night. Um, if you've ever camped out there, you know once night falls, you start to get very cold. And... Uh, this this really helped to uh, to keep the vineyard healthy, keep the grapes from rotting. So it was sandy soil with a lack of humidity, which really helped. And uh, they had a lot of consistency year in, year out. Then in 87, they had a great harvest. And from that, they produced their first two wines, the uh, Gruet Brut and the Gruet Brut Blanc de Noirs. And... From there, they just kind of grew, and we started to see it in, when I was working in Denver in the late 2000s, it started to get popular, and then I even saw it when I got out here. Now in Nashville, you can get more. You can get some of their different wines. Their, their Blanc de Blanc is now available in Nashville. They have a uh, rosé that is just phenomenal. And so the one that I had was their Blanc de Blanc, and... It was great. It, it did remind me a lot of a traditional champagne. Lots of really pretty fruit on the nose and was just incredible with, uh, with fried chicken, uh, as champagne and sparkling wine can be. Yum. And that's kind of our pairing. I th we've talked about this on the show before, but sparkling yeah, wine Alec, and fried chicken. Alex Birch, I, th I believe he was, he was pretty staunch. He's a big proponent of that. Yeah. I think he said the Andy same Wedge for as well. It's easy. You can you can pair sparkling with anything, really. Um, that's it's the one. It's one of the Psalms crutch. Yeah, it's easy. <laughs> but yeah, Gruet. If you're ever down there near Albuquerque, check them out. Yeah, they make really incredible wines and made in New Mexico. The cocktail that I would want to go over with uh, with Gruet or any other sparkling wine, the Sealbach, I think, is a great one. Because yeah. we've talked on the show about like French 75 and other sparkling wine cocktails, but the Sealbach is great because it's not a ton of volume. 
aside from the sparkling wine. So it's just an ounce of bourbon, a quarter ounce of triple sec or Cointreau. And then the original recipe from the Sealbach Hotel, Louisville, Kentucky, was seven dashes of Angostura, seven dashes of Peychaud, which is kind of bizarre. That's an, that's an aggressive flavor profile. So I would recommend starting with maybe three dashes of each. If you did three dashes Angostura, three dashes Pesha, that would be really good. If you only had Angostura, do three dashes. And all those different flavors from the orange to the bourbon and the bitters with the sparkling wine, it creates a, lot, a ton of flavor. They really marry together nicely. And the garnish, the old school garnish, is an orange peel or orange twist. It's one of those garnishes that is really crucial. If you have grapefruit, that can be that can be great as well. Um, but yeah, the Sealbach, amazing cocktail. Good kind of, Jess, as you mentioned uh, before we started recording, great bourbon introduction cocktail too. Yeah. Pretty cool in that it's like a fake classic too. You familiar yes. with that story? All the fake stories about the old history and really it was just like created like 20 years ago. <laughs> For like a cocktail competition or something? Nah. Um, there was this guy named Adam Seeger. He was uh, he was he applied and was hired to be the bar manager at the Sealbach Hotel. He made up the drink and the story behind it. He said that he found the recipe somewhere in the bar area, and it, <laughs> and it was from like he went he he went hard on this one. He he said that he had found the recipe and the story. Behind the recipe was that a couple was honeymooning in 1912 at the hotel. That checks out. People honeymooned there at that time. Uh, <laughs> the bride ordered a champagne cocktail, and the um, and the groom ordered a Manhattan. And the bartender spilled them together, got to th- made their drinks new, and then got to thinking this might be a cool drink, and and that's where the Sealbach was fake, fakely originated. Um, I guess it was about love that. five years ago that same bartender was opening up a place in Manhattan and he spilled the beans on it for more. I mean, that gave him even more publicity than the actual development of the drink. Pretty neat story. For our bartender friends who listen, that's a nice lesson in how to get a cocktail on a menu. So if you have a cocktail and you're like, I love this drink, this is going to be great. We're going to get this on the menu. And then you make it for your peers and they're like, uh, sorry, it's kind of fallen flatter. Well, I had a sh- I had a sparkling wine cocktail that I think is actually better than that. So what you do from there is you retool, and you go back and you're like, guys, you are not going to believe what I found hidden under the bar. Look at this recipe. <laughs> we have to put this on. Just dig up a story. Just gotta like rub the paper on the bottom of your boot and like crumple it up a little <laughs> bit, burn the edges, and then be like, God, I found this old piece of paper when I was cleaning under the bar. It Not says bad. signed Scalawag Johnny. Yeah. <laughs> it's definitely a better to have a really cool fake old story than be like, Oh, we created this recipe because we had a new product made by Bacardi and they needed to promote Sprite or something. Yeah, we're in a contest or oh. something. Yeah, like I I started making ginger beer, and then my boyfriend who makes copper mugs <laughs> needed to start selling his product more. <laughs> right. I wonder if that was one of the. Well, it wouldn't be the first, but maybe for the new age of the cocktail, that was like one of the first that artificially like was hearkening back to the golden age of the cocktail or something. Certainly was, man. Like I, I mean, like the guy 
probably, I mean, he definitely had a, a romantic vision of like the past of the hotel. Enough, enough of a romantic vision to pass it off, pass it off to everyone else that has a romantic vision of the hotel. Pretty neat. Cool bar to check out. Really they cool have bar. revamped it. It used to be just kind of dusty and and real classic and a throwback, but they have they have uh, renovated it down there in the basement bar there. Well, I won't say I shouldn't say basement. Uh, in the downstairs bar of the super classy and beautiful Sealbach Hotel, you can get a Sealbach there at dog, the Sealbach as well as they can, people can come too. see you guys. Dog friendly hotel. That's right. And which that's why you've stayed there, Kenneth. Well, what do you uh, what do you guys? So you've seen a ton of change this year. We all have, especially with our industry, though. And potentially what people order to drink. What do you see people as they get back into establishments and bars and restaurants and things like that heading into spring and summer 2021? Do you see, foresee a change in what people are ordering and how people are drinking? What are you guys expecting to see next year? Jess? Um, I mean, I think... (laughs) That bubbles are always going to play a big part because I feel like the trend recently is people really wanting to celebrate. It's sort of that um, get it while you can mentality. So the two Mm -hmm. things I think that will probably be, you know, a lot of people during the shutdown were making cocktails at home and things like that. But one of the things I've experienced just in the last couple of months is how appreciative people are when they come in and get one of our signature cocktails or you make them a special cocktail and they are like, oh, this is really good. Like, I can't make this at home, you know, so ordering things that are maybe a little more special or maybe a little higher end because they don't know how much longer they'll have the opportunity to get that. Sure. I agree. Yeah, that six or seven ingredient drink that, you know, that's hard to pull off at home. Yeah. Or just something that's got yeah. something a little more obscure that people might not have in their liquor cabinet, you know, or at their home bar. Mm-hmm. Um, or you put just a little more finesse into it and you make them feel special because they're out there sort of risking their health and yours to be in public and be in a place. And they're very respectful of the steps you take to make it feel like a special experience. Kenneth, what do you see as you look into your crystal ball for 2021? I agree with Jess. Um, I think folks have been holed up. A lot of folks have been holed up in their house, still drinking, but kind of on a budget. So I think a lot of folks are getting to the point where um, they're going to want something a little nicer, just Mm -hmm. actually like celebrate whatever moment they are celebrating. I don't know. Like uh, I I was kind of having a breakdown a couple of months ago. I was talking to you, Mike, and I was just like, man, I just need... I just need something expensive. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> so, like, uh, that's kind of what I foresee for everyone else. Like, um, box wine sales. Yeah, like I just want box, something nice. Yeah, box wine sales are at, like, an all-time high. But on the other end of all of this, I see them kind of, lack of a better word, tanking a little bit. I could see that along with, like, I think lower-proof stuff will be something that comes out of this when people start to get back out there and be like, well, you know, I've been, I can drink heavy at home. 
<laughs> now that I'm out, I really want to enjoy myself, but not necessarily get sloshed. Right. Um, yeah. And a lot of so those, that I can really remember everything. A lot of those yeah. things, like a lot of those liqueurs and uh, and shit, they're like they're a lot more elegant. And there's been like so much turmoil this year, a lot of ugliness. Like I think folks, once we're done with this, are gonna want to carry themselves with a little bit more grace. Mm. Mm-hmm. I like that. Yeah. Yeah, well, it sounds like we're kind of predicting 2021, the year of the sparkling wine cocktail. <laughs> I'm in. That's fine. Not just because we're doing a show on it, because <laughs> we're forecasting the entire year. Well, I guess, um, yeah, remember that all it needs is sparkling wine in it for it to be a sparkling cocktail. So, like, choose your choose your favorite choose your favorite cocktail and splash some champagne in there. Like, yeah. Yeah, right? Have you guys seen that meme where they're like, it's only uh, Frankenstein if it comes from the Frankenstein region of France, otherwise it's a sparkling monster. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That's great. Let's just go over for our friends, for our listeners, some terms that people can look out for when they're buying sparkling wine, um, brute being dry. But one thing I think a lot of people don't know about is how extra dry, when you're talking about French terms, extra dry can mean sweet. Yeah, so technically, okay, so, that's something so you gotta yeah, w- watch out for. Brute means dry. Extra dry is less dry than brute. Extra brute or zero dosage is going to be the most dry. So extra brute means drier than regular dry. It means they're literally putting like very little or no of the sugar mixture in for the secondary fermentation, you know? But that's mm-hmm. a big one also I think with kava because you'll find a lot of them where they'll say they're produced the same way as champagne, but the extra dry is actually less dry than brute. So that's a big one. Yeah. And then do D-O-U-X is going to be a little on the sweeter side or demi-sec. Those are those ones that mm-hmm. are made more in that dessert style with a little bit of more residual sugar to them. So if you're looking for something sweet, keep an eye out for demi-sec. Keep an eye out for extra dry, which sounds a little strange. It's very confusing, but... And then if you just want dry, which I feel like most people do when they're when they're thinking bubbles, then you're looking for brute. Yeah. And if you like if you do like sweet um, sparkling wines, there's a lot of great and affordable sparkling um, moscatos out there. Yeah. And another cool, very aromatic grape. So it lends itself mm-hmm. well to being on the sweeter on the fruitier, sweeter side. And it's really great. good with spicy chicken. So if you're talking about pairing bubbles with fried chicken. You want something with a little residual sugar, a little sweetness to go with hot chicken. We're really pushing Sounds this great. chicken Sounds great. It'd be a today. great New Year's meal. Sorry, I'm just craving fried chicken. <laughs> yeah, it's been floated in our house lately, so ah. we might we might need to yeah. pull the trigger for New Year's Eve. Yeah. Well, thank you guys so much. Thank you. It's been a hell of a year. Hell of a yeah, year. Good talk. Good stuff as always. Thanks so much to everyone who has listened to the show and has tuned in with us. We hear a lot of nice comments from people. We really appreciate it to uh, the folks listening in Japan, to the English class in Poland. Shout out. Thank you all for listening. To our friends in Paris, to our friends in Germany, to all our friends in Charleston. Kenneth and I miss you, Jess, Kevin, but also all the folks down there. And all our homies here in Nashville and Middle Tennessee. We miss you. Just thanks, everybody, for listening. Yeah. We do. We miss everybody. Where are you guys going to send people to buy their bubbles for New Year's in Nashville? So you can do Grand Cru. 
which I know you're a fan of, Jess, where you worked. Um, great bubbles there. Great bubbles there. A lot of selection. Woodland Wine always has some great Both Woodland sparkling wine. wines. Yeah. Woodland, I have, uh, Woodland's got some great dry German sparkling wines that are just phenomenal. Very cool. Um, they've got the Oleg, I think it's called. The Oleg uh, Sparkling Rosé is a great one. They've got the Elbing stuff, which is awesome. Um, and then there's uh, Mad- the old Madison Beverage Warehouse in Madison, off Gallatin. They have the Gruet. So you can pick that up there. Solid. That's awesome. Well, if you're in Charleston, there's a lot of good shops, but uh, the Edmonds Oast Exchange is doing a sale, 20% off bubbles through the end of the year. So, And they're super knowledgeable, smaller store, kind of like the Grand Crew of Charleston. So great place to go check out and stock up for the new year. Well, we've got some pairings out of the way. We've got cocktails out of the way. We'll have some, some non-alcoholic drinks, uh, some alcohol-free recipes for you in January. All right, guys. Well, uh, thanks to everybody at We Own This Town, the We Own This Town podcast network. Check out all the fun podcasts and music shows at weownthistown.net. Thanks to our producer, Michael Eads. Thank you, Michael. Thanks to the musical talents of Upright T-Rex Music for the tunes. Our artist in residence on the payroll, Miss Jess Matchin. <laughs> Jess. Some fun projects in the works. As always, you can go see Jessica Backus at Delaney Oyster House there in Charleston. You can go visit Kenneth Dedman at Husk here in Nashville. And we're all just trying to make it through this year and get into 2021 with a little bit of uh, perspective. But we'll be back talking all the things that you put in your glass. Jess, thank you so much. Anything to add on the way out? Thank you so much. Happy New Year. Yay, 2021. Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year, Kenneth. Happy New Year, y'all. For Jessica Backus and my co-host, Mr. Kenneth Dedman, my name's Mike Wolf, and we will see you next time in a new year. Thank God, a new year. Uh, with sparkling wine in our hands, no matter what day or year it is. <laughs> and we'll see you next year on Liquid Gold. Later, Tater. Woohoo! <laughs>